right, and here we go. We are just about a week away from FETC down in New Orleans, and I'm super excited. And every time I see that intro, and for me, I'm probably going to see it about 35 more times over the next two weeks, but it just gets me excited. It gets me fired up, um, and it really makes me just look forward to the next weekend flying down there and meeting so many great people. And, and for me, one of the things that FET represents, and it has such a close place in my heart and why I try to support as much as possible. It was one of my first national events. And it was where I came up with the idea of writing Power of Connections because I get to meet so many people and I get to learn from each and every one of them. And I can't wait for our next guest to come on because literally I just talked to him for the first time today ever. And um, researching, you know, before coming on today and seeing some of his work around his book and the sessions, I just get to sit back and listen in these interviews and, and learn from these amazing educators from around the globe. So, Mike, welcome in and look forward to hearing your story and your work. Hey, Matt, thanks so much. It's great to be part of your podcast. And yeah, I'm getting really pumped up about FETC also. This is my third time attending. I did attend it last year in Orlando and I was able to present about uh, a book I had published back then, but I have a new one. Um, and yeah, I'm a principal in central New Jersey. Okay. Uh, it's a upper elementary middle school model, five, sixth grade. And I've been in middle school my entire career, which I never thought I'd say, you know, when I went into education, I was thinking, right. you know, high school, elementary, and then I landed in middle school and I love it. Um, so a lot of my research is both anecdotal, anecdotal and science, uh, backed and I weave storylines into it, make it a little more, uh, readable for the audience but also they can have a takeaway and this latest book is uh was really motivated by a combination of things one is i just really wanted to hand educators a you know a guide to say hey we're all in a much more difficult space nowadays than ever in both education and in in you know the world we live in and coming out of a, a pandemic and all the sure. some of the other challenges but I think the biggest thing for me was about equity. Um, one of the challenges that we face in education is something I refer to as institutionalized inequity. And there's a okay. lot of really good, well-intending people who are trying to help disadvantaged populations. Unfortunately, sometimes that actually has a re reverse effect. And I get into some of the reasons why it's not a knock on anyone. It's more a knock on our systems and then how to really radically change that, which is why the title Radical Principles is called that. And I really dive into some of the ways to bridge the divide. Uh, there's a lot of unconscious bias that we all carry. Uh, sure. And if, it's not so much that we carry it that's a problem. It's the fact that we need to be so very much aware of it so that we can begin to implement strategies that once and for all really begin to help children that are at a disadvantage. And that's the most important message in my book. There, there are many reasons for children to be at a disadvantage. One may be that English is not their first language. There may be racial uh, barriers and challenges. There may be, you know, a variety of other things. They don't fit in, quote unquote, to the community they're in. Uh, there may be socioeconomic status. And it's usually more than one of those that really multiplies out some of the challenges. And the problem with all of that is that none of these children have a reason to be you know, performing less well sure. if we're providing the right practices. So I get into really both utilizing time 
and opportunity to change that, to really shift that. And there's a lot of good practices that are sort of spread out out there that you know people offer. Um, I consolidate those. I talk about research and why these things work. Some quick examples are things like good old-fashioned mentoring, but then some really unique ways that I suggest to instill it. Because if you're like my school, you don't have the resources to pull mentors in the traditional sense and give them all this time with kids. But you got to figure out a way. So that's one of the radical things I talk about. How do we work around those challenges to start to make practical and effective ways to help children succeed? That's the bottom line. No, and I think that's great. But uh, um, And I want to dive more into that. But you said something there that just sparked my interest. Uh, Central New Jersey Middle School Principal, is there any chance you're going to the conference in March? Uh, the Najami, I think it's called. Oh, yeah. Uh, that one I'm not attending, but there is a CEC one council for exceptional children. So I've, I've gone to the New Jersey middle school one you're referring to. It's a great conference. Uh, why are you headed there? I, I'm going to be the keynote at that event. And I, oh, was, no, well, know, I, I know Frank really mind. well. I know Frank really well. And um, I look forward to, to coming down. I may have to change my mind then and see if I can get <laughs> over there because I'd love to hear you be on stage instead of us. Uh, you know, oh, Jesus. I know <laughs> you have a lot to offer too. And, and just from some of the, because I did my research too. And, uh, and I would, um, I may have to think about that in March. All right. Well, Frank, all. if you're listening, look at that. Um, so you had, mentioned, um, you had mentioned, and, and one of the things we do really poorly in our profession is, share the things we're proud of. You kind of just glossed over like, yeah, and I wrote a book and blah, blah. And no, no, no. We're going to get back to that. You wrote this book. Let me take your Twitter handle down so everybody can see it. Radical Principles, Blueprint for Long-Term Equity and Sustainability at School. So as a school leader, and I was a former school leader for 11, 11 years, why would my school need to pick this up? It's so relevant and topical, and it generalizes across every community because we're all facing not the exact problems, but a pattern of problems and challenges. So this book provides both a context for those challenges. I get into uh, right at the beginning of the book, I talk about what does radical mean? Because, you know, radicals, uh, you know, a term we hear, but if you notice it's radical principles, P-A-L-S. And the whole point of that is we as both education leaders and as practitioners, educators in the field. This is this applies to teachers and even families, but especially education leaders, is what are some of the really innovative, out-of-the-box kinds of things that we can do? And more importantly, how do we do that? How do we navigate around some of the challenges? Because I also mentioned in the book that you should not be ending your career over these things. Right. Uh, that there are very clever, practical ways to navigate around uh, bureaucracy uh, and some of the challenges that those um, do. We do a really good job in schools of creating things like schedules and bells and rules and expectations. And we need to do those things. I'm not minimizing any of that. What I'm saying is that there has to be exceptions to that, especially when we're working with children that are disadvantaged. You know, I had a kid the other day. He said they're supposed to sit while they're waiting for their bus and he he can't sit. It's just not possible. Right. For him. He's like I was when I was his age. I had to run all around until I crashed at the end of the night and slept. And um, I, I said, okay, I just need you to be near me then. 
And that now we're having conversations and he's allowed to stand. If I had given a blanket statement rule, and I could tell because I was a special educator. So a lot of my rooted practices come from, we have to be flexible. We have to be adaptable. We can't just make a rule and then blindly follow that only to inevitably expect children to either push back or struggle with that rule. So, and kids are almost never doing that to be deviant uh, or intentionally bad. They're doing it because it's, it, it's the only way they know how to respond. So yeah. And off- I think, yeah. And if we don't do that, you know, kids are going to crash and burn and they're not going to really reach their success. And I think having that is, is critical. And I know one of my um, friends is, is watching a second grade teacher who is one of the best, if not the best teacher I've seen. And she talks a lot about what you're saying. It's like, we have to be humanize the profession first, greet the kids at the door and, you know, be loud in class, have some things where sometimes principals have blind spots and they don't see that their actions is their actions that are not humanizing are really actually adding to the struggle, which sadly becomes the new buzzword in in our profession, but the struggle in our profession. So, Talk about as a principal, because I know she wants to work for principals who allow those type of things. How do you communicate to your staff that it's okay to let kids stand? It's okay to, you know, greet them at the door when I know this is your prep time. Like, how would you communicate that to to your staff? Yeah, so there's a lot that, that you said there. So first of all, teacher greeting at the door is known in and of itself. If nothing else changes, there's research that shows this. I referenced that in the book to immediately reduce the disruptive behavior and increase the engagement of children. Why? Because we're giving them positive feedback. We're showing them that we care. You talked about relationships. Most of what we do is about relationships, building relationships and then sustaining those relationships. The other part to this is something I refer to as small wins, which is really something I borrowed from the corporate world. And this is this idea that, you know, continuing to show students their small successes cumulatively over time. You can even graph this for visual learners. Uh-huh. It's such a powerful way to convince them that they're moving forward, even if it's this remarkably imperfect upward curve. It's, it's empowering. And, and it allows kids to begin to see that they were over here and now they're yep. way up here. And it's invigorating and it gives them ownership and they start to take pride because kids in the end want to take pride in what they do. Sometimes the only way they know how to do that is to act out or misbehave if they haven't been taught something differently. We as educators have a responsibility to shift that and show them, hey, you look at these little successes. I like the way you walked in the room nicely this morning. Yeah, it can be the smallest thing. And when you're specifying that with authentic praise, not just saying you were really good today, that means nothing to a kid. Instead, I really like the way you sat for the last 90 seconds. Is an accomplishment for that kid. Right. And then you build on it, right? Um, one of my favorite things, I'll just add one real, uh, that I do with teachers. And I don't want to give too much of this away um, because I'm going to be presenting it at my um, presentation uh, at, you know, at FETC, is that uh, I, I show an evaluation of a student who is remarkably unsuccessful and is expected to fail. Hostile, impulsive below grade level, has difficulty with social interactions. And I'm eventually able to show the teachers that this, and then I ask the teachers, make predictions about this kid. Which, you know, what's going to happen to 
this child. And they say things like he could become an addict, he could become uh, violent, he could end up in prison, all these uh, destructive things. Every once in a while you get someone that says, well, with a little support, he could be successful. And I'm like, light bulb. But then I say to them, what are some of the things we can do to help that child? And sometimes we default to give him an IEP. You know, right. so we lose the you know forest through the trees in this concept, or the trees through the forest. And the, the problem with that is they I'm able to share with permission that they know this kid. This kid right. turned out to be a remarkably successful adult. And when they find that out, they're stunned. And then I talk to them about not making, not letting those subconscious biases inhibit their ability to reach a child because somebody reached that child and that's why that child was successful. So it's little things like that that help teachers to understand. And it's often about perspective because we get lost in our day to day. We get jaded and we need this refreshing perspective, which FETC will do a great job of doing, as you and I know, having been there uh, multiple times before. And so I think it's these kinds of ideas we bring back to the classroom when we come back the following Monday that we're able to immediately apply. And that's what I offer in, in the book as well. No, and I think that's great. And I really appreciate it. I'm just sitting back and listening and, and, and learning. And, and it's such a benefit selfishly for me doing these podcasts to meet amazing people. I, I mean, I didn't know your work and I didn't know some of the things that you've done. And, and I'm just I'm a listener right now, along with the people watching and listening. So first of all, thank you. And I appreciate that. The second is I really like how you point out things that aren't working in schools. Right. We too often we hear my school's great or we're so successful and everybody gets along or you know if i had three wishes and, and, and a genie in a bottle we'd have extra recess and extra time and all this give us these wishes and you're like no here's what needs to happen it's not Absolutely. about wishes it's not about genies it's not about silver linings this is what's happening and you talk about the real issues and i just want to thank you and i appreciate that and for all of you who want to learn more who aren't going to new orleans make sure to check out uh, Mike's book, Radical Principles, um, you can get that on Amazon and any place that is selling it. So make sure to check that. But you kind of glossed into to the FETC part. You have a couple sessions. I'm going to shoot them up and then I want you to talk about each of them. Um, well, we're going to meet the author, but meet the author again. But turning um, deep focus. So talk about some of the sessions you're doing. Yeah, so the first one is tuning the mind to a deep focus. And I really just talk about a few scientifically proven ways that the teachers don't have a lot of time to, in their minds, and understandably incorporate things that take a long time and or disrupt their on-the-go instruction. Teacher, You talked about a teacher who's uh, watching now, and I'm talking to her specifically now, as well as all the wonderful teachers out there. You are too busy in your classroom. And if you aren't, then you can, you can disagree with me. But I have a feeling that you're not going to. And I also have a feeling that you would really seize on an idea such as using scientifically proven approaches that can happen during instruction, that you're not interfering with or stopping your instruction. So I use examples like uh, tonal noises that, uh, and I'll talk real quick about binaural beats as one of those several examples I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach about. Uh, when I'm down there. And that is that when you're listening to two sounds in both of your ears and they're at different tones, it creates a third virtual sound. And that third virtual sound targets specific parts of the brain that can calm it, that can turn it into deep focus. 
and there's different tonal melodies you can use. You can use one as a pre-workout. And there's apps cool. everywhere out there, and you can Google this, and you can listen to it on YouTube. Make sure that when you're invest investigating this or researching this, that you're uh, emphasizing that kids are using headphones in their ear, ideally. So obviously, this needs to happen more during uh, independent work or when you've sent them off to complete a task, not necessarily at the beginning. It takes about three to seven minutes, research, practice, again, for this to have an effect. So it doesn't happen right away. Your, your brain needs to pick up that third virtual sound, which happens after about five minutes. So it's so important when, and it, what it does is kids say, this is amazing. I'm, I'm so focused. I've never been this focused before. And then they feel empowered and productive and productivity gives immense satisfaction and wellness. And don't we all need a little bit more wellness in every place, especially our classrooms today? I, I agree. So that is one session. Make sure to check that out. Um, and then another session about your book, Radical Principles, How to Disrupt um, Institutional Inequity. So that's a workshop. So that's a two-hour session on Wednesday, bright and early. Um, get on up and go see Mike at 8 o'clock in room 353. So for individuals who are deciding to wake up early or not, and they're like, all right, I see this session. I see the book. I saw him on Matt's podcast. Why should they come into that two-hour workshop? And what are they going to leave with? Yeah, and I have copies of the book you can check out there. So it's really kind of a deeper dive because you talked about the two-hour session into the principles of this book. And it's you know, one of my favorite things is listening to a podcast about a great book. And I feel like this session is going to be like that. Like you and I only have a few minutes here um, but uh, to talk about it, but I'm going to be able to get more into that in that session. And I'm going to be able to break down. I start with what is what does it mean to be radical as an educator? Then I get into why should we be radical? And I get into then the practices. And the practices are the things that people are going to be able to bring back on Monday and apply right away. Uh, these are such important ideas that with perspective and energy, teachers can apply and educators and leaders. So remember, I talk about leaders primarily, but this is also for educators like your teacher friend who's watching us. And it's so important to think about these practices. Some of these are very short-term, highly impactful things like the binaural beats I talked about. Sure. And some of these are longer term. You know, this is a goal we have. It's September that we want to establish by November. Longer vision kinds of things. I even talk about the importance of timing and how we apply some of these principles, optimizing our timing. And timing is both short-term and long-term. And, and understanding that. Even things with timing like understanding our productivity during the day. Most people, not all, but most are highly productive after they've had a sound night's sleep and they get up in the morning first. So that's the worst time that you should be on email, getting upset, reading a, an email <laughs> that's, uh, that's going to take a shot at you or something like that, as, as so often happens in schools. Uh, how, so that should happen later in the day. And of course, most of us would agree that around three o'clock in the afternoon, we are ready for that power nap, that siesta, if, if we were allowed to have it. But what do we do to teachers at that time of day? We have faculty meetings. It's the worst time of the day. And I'm not saying change that, but there's ways to shift focus during those times. I'm not saying change everything about what you do because some people just can't. What I'm saying is, okay, you can't change the three o'clock faculty meeting. Here's how to energize them. And one of the most important things to do is to get them moving. And so you do things like ed camps uh, as faculty meetings, which are here, here's a menu of five things, pick two and go to them. And you have this concept where it's like a poster session where they walk up to it. And it's all tied into goals in the school, but it's also interesting. And they get selection, which as soon as you give 
an adult or a student selection, they feel more, more ownership of it. And secondly, they get to spend a shorter amount of time and then be moving between these things. When we are moving our body, we're moving our mind. There's the, the, the blood flow to the brain increases. We're more alert. We're able to restore some of that energy that we lost from earlier in the day. And we walk out of there feeling like it was a worthwhile meeting, not sitting there listening to the principal lecture them. for 40 Oh, minutes I, I, I agree. I've met, uh, sadly, too many principals with, with bloated egos, and they just want to um, share everything they think they know. And I really appreciate you um, sharing your real time discussion. It, it's amazing because too often, you know, like I said before, principals talk about their schools like it's all rainbows and unicorns and they don't do some of the things that you're sharing. You know, I was talking to a principal who was like, I, I had an idea for a staff meeting. I was going to bring peppermint stick ice cream because it was the holidays and but I don't want to get in trouble. And I'm like, if that's what you want to do you do it and it feels Thanks for forgiveness ask for permission absolutely ask... and i think yeah. that that's great and and you've shared so many great things like i said this is i, I gotta be honest with you mike this is one of the first ones i just sat back and i'm taking this all in and i'm gonna go back and and, and watch it you've been you've been great to learn from been great to meet um and speaking of meeting if you are down in new orleans make sure to stop down to the expo hall at 11 o'clock to to meet mike to to grab a photo, grab a book and, and, and learn a little bit more from you. So before, um, before I get you out of here, I do want to ask you the same question I ask everybody. What does Stronger Together mean to you? Stronger Together means that we bridge those gaps uh, that I talked about, particularly for children who are already at a disadvantage. We have to be stronger together in order to forge the opportunity for kids once and for all that they deserve to thrive and every child, every underdog can thrive if we give them the right circumstances. Well, I like that. Well, Mike, it has been awesome to, to meet you. I'm glad you had a chance to, to, to get up and we started our weekend off this way. Like I said, if you don't follow Mike, check out his Twitter handle down below. If you haven't had a chance to pick up the book, make sure you, you grab that. If you're down in New Orleans, make sure to stop into one of his two great sessions, or as I just shared on Wednesday, make sure to stop into the Exit Hall and, and see him. So Mike, it has been great to connect. It was great to learn about your work, and I look forward to learning more about all the great things that you do for your school and in our profession. Likewise, Matt. It was a pleasure. Awesome. And for all of those watching and listening, continue to stay tuned. We have some more of our amazing FETC presenters Monday evening next week. And then we have 30 sessions at the event. And I look forward to meeting all of these great individuals. And as I said, the book Power of Connections started at FETC and Stronger Together continues at FETC because we continue to get better when we put we over me. Have a great weekend, Mike. Look forward to meeting you. You too. Take care. See ya.